0: If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me, hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away.
1: Now, I don't have many memories of primary school, but there is one experience that I will never forget, even though it was over 40 years ago. Uh, We'd moved to a new home in the northeast of England where my parents were starting a new church along with three other families. And I was painfully aware, having moved from the south to the north and being the new boy at school, and I really wanted to fit in. But the memory that I have is not a memory of fitting in, but quite the opposite. I had shared with a classmate that I was a Christian and the word got round. So one lunchtime, a gang of boys, and it felt like every boy in in the class, surrounded me in a circle in a corner of the playground and they began chanting over and over again, remember you're a Christian. Now this chant was based on a children's TV show called the Wombles, some of you may remember it. And the theme song of the Wombles uh, had a, a line in it, remember you're a Womble. So on one level, this uh, chant was just silly playground banter. But the experience of being vulnerable and alone, circled by jeering faces who were united in the mockery of my faith, was actually quite horrible. I actually was afraid that I was going to get a beating as well. And I don't remember if I was crying at the time or fighting to hold in the tears. Eventually, I just decided I would make a run for it and broke out through the circle of boys and ran as fast as I could across the playground and round the corner of a building trying to find a place of safety. And as I did, I ran slap bang into my dad. Now, I don't know why he was at the school. I don't remember ever seeing him in the playground for the following three years, but his presence changed everything. I quietly stood by his side, I didn't tell him what had happened and just walked back through the playground in front of the boys with an entirely different frame of mind now that painful memory takes us to the second half of John chapter 15 because what we discover here is that being a Christian entails hatred from the world around and we discover what we're supposed to do about it now You may remember if you've been following along that when we open John 15, we're right in the middle of one of the most intimate scenes in the entire ministry of Jesus. We're reading an eyewitness personal account of what he said to his followers on the night of the Passover meal. This is Jesus last night before he will be crucified. After three years of life together, he's now saying goodbye. He knows that the following day he will be crucified. So time is short. And so he's impressing on them now the things that are of critical importance for them to remember once he's gone. This section of John's Gospel from chapter 13 to 17 sometimes called the Farewell Discourses. And here in chapter 15 we're discovering this whole new dimension of what it means to be a Christian. Last week we thought about the first part of the chapter. It gives a beautiful, inspiring vision of the Christian life. In a single powerful image, Jesus talks about himself as the vine and all his followers as branches and how they can bear much fruit. So last week we thought about how being a Christian is not just about accepting a new set of beliefs or simply about changing your lifestyle. It is both those things, but it is much, much more. It's about a new life where you as an individual are united with Jesus Christ just as a branch, a living branch, is united to a vine and bears fruit. And that means that being a Christian is about being fully alive. Being a Christian is about being truly human, about being renewed and about being vitally connected to God, who is the source of life. And so being a Christian is about constantly growing and bearing fruit and filling the world with goodness and beauty and light and joy. And so we thought last week about the priority of remaining uh, dwelling or abiding, remaining in Jesus by his word, by prayer and obedience, and that those things would make us very fruitful. But right after that glowing, positive, life giving vision of the Christian experience, we come right back down to the to the earth with a bump. If you have a look at what Jesus says in verse 18, it's quite a shock and it's quite somber. So straight after being told, don't let your hearts be troubled, straight after being told about the benefits of remaining in him, straight after thinking about the new community of love that Christian believers will be, Jesus comes out with verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If the world hates us, that's pretty strong language. You know, in fact, in the original language that uh, this text was written in. It's very strong. It suggests that people who follow Jesus Christ should expect to be hated. It implies a certainty. You know, you will be hated because he was. In other words, this is an inevitable reality for those who are in the vine. And so it's vital for us to think about it together today. Uh, Why do we need to hear this? Firstly, I want to suggest that if you are a person who is considering the claims of Jesus, you're not sure if you would call yourself a Christian or you're you're pretty sure you're not, but you are considering the claims of Jesus, you must see the radical nature of what becoming a Christian means or you simply won't understand it. This is not just a lifestyle, it's a change in your nature, a radical break with the old way of life, a change in who you are. The old roots are severed, you're put into the vine. And it will lead to opposition from the world. In other words, becoming a Christian is is not going to make your life easier. But I would argue it's eminently worthwhile. That's some people who need to think about this. But also the majority of those uh, watching today likely are Christians already. And you need to hear this too. So that you will not fall away, as Jesus says in chapter 16. Verse 1, all this I've told you so that you will not fall away or stumble. Because if you don't see the difference, the essential difference between yourself as a Christian and the world, you will find yourself shocked and hurt, confused by the treatment you receive. You might even finally be defeated. I've seen it happen. And so Jesus wants to make it very clear to his disciples and to every disciple that will follow in history that being united with him will involve hatred from the world. And then he tells us briefly what to do about it. So I've got two points today. Very simple message. Firstly, why the world hates you. And secondly, what to do about it. Firstly, why the world hates you. Why? It's a fair question to ask. Because hating Christians often seems unreasonable. In fact, verse 25 agrees, they hated me without reason, quoting there two of these Psalms. It's without just cause, but it happens and it's painful and grievous. Now the passage actually gives us three reasons why people hate Christians. But before we look at them, we need to ask, what is the world? Because the text says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Uh, We could get confused by this because as we read at the beginning of John's gospel, right back in chapter one, God is the one who created the world. God loves it. In the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. All things that were created were created through him. So God has created the world, created it through Jesus Christ as his agent in the power of the spirit. So God has made the world. And, and also we know that God loves the world. The most famous and most translated verse in the entire Bible is John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So God loves the world and God created the world. So what does this word world mean here? Now, it's the same word, but the meaning in this context is the system of life that is organized in opposition to God. Let me say that definition again. The system of life that is organized in opposition to God. So the life, the culture, the way of thinking, the system that people create, which excludes God, which is not under God's rule and lordship. That is what world means here. And it can be a very religious world or a very irreligious world. It can, it's still the world. It instinctively opposes God and hates Christians. And this can take very, very different forms. In the first 300 years of the Christian church, it was essentially a story of on and off state persecution, more on than off. Christians were marginalized. They were seen as a minority group. They were despised in many contexts, and they were persecuted by the state and by their neighbors often. Now, compared to that, we, modern people in the 21st century in the West, have a comparatively easy life, although we will still be hated by the world. If you want to know more about what's going on globally, I can recommend a charity called Open Doors. And on the Open Doors website is something called the World Watch List, which is a ranking of countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution. It's annually reviewed. And in the last year or year or two, India has moved up to 10th place in the 50 countries where Christians face the most extreme persecution. Number one on the list, you won't be surprised to hear, is North Korea. And then the others in the top 10 are Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Sudan, Yemen, Iran and India. Being a Christian is a very dangerous profession in many parts of the world and that should be a matter of prayer for every believer in Jesus Christ. Why does the world hate Christians? There are three reasons given in this passage. Firstly, the world hated Jesus because of his word and his works. Have a look at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Verse 22 goes on to explain: If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. Jesus Christ's presence in our world, his deeds and works and miracles, which nobody else has ever done before or since, and his teaching and his, his claims, exclusive truth claims about himself and his claims to lordship over the human race, claim an authority from outside ourselves to expose the human heart, to expose everyone's sin and wrongdoing and to judge them. Now, our culture is deeply, deeply committed to the idea that there is no way a truth from outside myself can come into my world and judge my experience. Our culture believes that my truth, my story, my experience is absolutely defining and no one can challenge it. I define my own identity. I define my own future. I define whether I'm right or wrong. But Jesus Christ comes and stands square in the face of that. People believe if I feel something's right for me, some moral choice or some course of action, if I feel that it's right, how can anyone tell me otherwise? But Christianity has a standard of truth from outside the world. It is the word of Jesus. It judges the world. It exposes, another part of the Bible says, every thought, word and motive. It brings into question every human decision. Because it is from God. So it's authoritative. And therefore all people are held to account by Jesus and they hate it. Now they might hate it in a principled, considered, intellectual manner. Having realised what Jesus is all about. Or they might hate it in more of an instinctive manner visceral gut level way but nevertheless they hate Jesus because of what he stands for because of his righteousness because of his ability to judge and they will then inevitably hate his followers the world hates Jesus because of his word and deeds secondly the world hates Christians because they don't belong here anymore look with me at verse 19 verse 19 says if you belonged to the world it would love you as its own As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember from last week, Christians are now branches of the vine, Jesus. They have a new identity, a new purpose, a new source of life. In fact, the Bible talks in terms of them being given new birth. So they literally are a new creation. They have, therefore, a new primary loyalty, a new primary allegiance, a new Lord. They belong to Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about what this means, it's very, very radical. Christians no longer put the company first and do what the boss says in order that they will get ahead. No, no, Jesus is first. They no longer put their race first and prioritise the needs of their own ethnic group. They no longer put their tribe first. They no longer put their culture first and accept simply what their culture says as as the way to live. They're open to questioning and challenging it and rethinking it in the light of the revelation of Jesus. Perhaps this is getting a little bit closer to home when I say they no longer put their family first. So sometimes family opposes Jesus and Christians must go against family. Do you realise how radical it is to belong to Jesus Christ? He works a change in your life and your heart that is absolutely new. Because the life of heaven comes to dwell in you. You're part of the vine. So people know that they can't own you. They can't control you. They're not quite sure they can trust you anymore because you're not living for the same things that they are. And therefore they feel threatened by you. They feel insecure. They can even feel afraid of of Christians because you're not living for the same reasons that they are. You have this different motivation. You're strange. You're listening to the music of a different drummer. You're you're tuning into something from another world outside and it makes them feel exposed. And the goodness that comes to dwell in a Christian as they become holy over time and more and more like Jesus is very threatening and exposing to people as well. The darkness hates the light John says earlier on but cannot overcome it so here's the second reason why the world hates Christians it's because you don't belong here anymore you're no longer one of them you're no longer of the world you're of Christ the third reason that Jesus gives for the world hating uh, Christians is because, is an argument from the greater to the lesser here it is in verse 20 uh, remember what I told you, he says, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. You know, if you're a, a servant of, 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 a, of a great master, you don't expect to have a better life than the master does. So Jesus makes this point. Uh, no, to the extent that you identify with Jesus Christ, you will experience what he did. Some level of opposition, of hostility, of resentment of enmity and in some cases violence and in the worst cases being killed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Christian leader who uh, knew what was coming with the Nazi regime coming into power in the 1930s. He could see what was was going to happen in his his dear country of Germany but he decided to go back and lead the, the Confessing Church which opposed Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich And Bonhoeffer was eventually executed, I think, one month before the end of the First World War. Uh, Sorry, Second World War. He was hanged in a German concentration camp. In a book called The Cost of Discipleship, 1937, he wrote prophetically about what it meant to follow Jesus truly. Suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ. And it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Such suffering will be proportionate to the extent that we identify with Jesus. Why does the world hate Christians? Because it hated Jesus because of his word. Because... We don't belong here anymore. And because if they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute you too. So it's inevitable. And therefore, that's a challenge to us, isn't it? If we find that our Christianity is rather easy, if we feel that we're not experiencing any kind of opposition or heat for being a Christian, anything at all, it may indicate that something is wrong. It may do. And I don't want to create paranoia, but I think we need to ask ourselves, Am I experiencing any kind of hatred or opposition for being a Christian? Here are some other texts from the New Testament that back this idea up. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All. Philippians 1 verse 29. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. There should be some level of opposition that we are experiencing because we're known as Christians. And if we're not, it's a moment here, I think, for self-reflection. Am I so hidden as a Christian Am I not in contact with the the world that I'm actually managed to make myself secure from it? And also with that, I need to point out that sometimes Christians are persecuted or experience suffering, not because they're Christians, but because of the way they behave. Sometimes Christians are so thoughtless or unhelpful or obstructive that they bring about persecution on themselves. And that is not give glory and honor to Jesus rather brings disgrace on us so we need to make sure that if we are experiencing problems it's not because of our own stupidity but because of jesus because of being identified with him why the world hates us secondly and finally what to do about it now there are two instincts that are very deep in the human psyche hidden in the brain the instinct to fight or flight and often when we experience conflict or even anticipate it, our brain kicks in and starts sending hormones and adrenaline around the body uh, with the, the simple signal for fight or flight. And we, it turns out, are not supposed to follow either of those instincts here when we experience enmity. Not fight. Not aggressively paying back like for like. Jesus doesn't advocate that after all. He's, he said that Christians will be known for their love. So when we experience enmity, the most surprising and radical thing we can do in in responding to it is to love the enemy. We're not to fight. We're also not to flee. It's very tempting to withdraw into the bunker, to just get your head down under the parapet, perhaps to hide in a, a, a community of Christian friends, a subculture, to only have Christian relationships to stay out of trouble and avoid conflict but that is not an option that Jesus gives us here instead you know he sends us the Holy Spirit have a look towards the end of chapter 15 when the advocate comes whom I will send to you from the father the spirit of truth who goes out from the father he will testify about me and you also must testify For you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. What to do about it? If we find ourselves hated by the world, the answer is we must now rely on the Holy Spirit and keep speaking. It says here that the powerful spirit of God, the spirit who enabled creation to come into being, beginning of, of the world, hovering over the waters of creation. That spirit who was enabled Jesus himself to do great miracles and wonders. That spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, giving life to that which was truly dead. That same spirit who gives the word of God to the apostles and the prophets and gives us God's truth in a permanent form. That Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, now lives in you if you are a Christian and here he is called the advocate. The counselor is like a a barrister, a lawyer. He argues in your defense. He's here to comfort and defend you. And it says here that Jesus, although he is going, will now send the spirit. The spirit of truth will come from the father to you as the individual believer, and you will testify about Jesus. Remarkable thing here is it's not just the Holy Spirit who testifies, but it's us who testify. The Spirit speaks through us as we talk the good news about Jesus. Remember my story at the start of this sermon about the crowd of boys, how intimidating they looked, how scared I was, how upset. I felt I was on my own. But the situation looked entirely different when I just ran a couple of hundred yards and realised that there was someone in the playground who was much more powerful than all of them put together. My dad was with me. And that's what the Holy Spirit does here. He turns up in the lives of believers and he strengthens them so that they can stand firm and not fall away or stumble fatally. And because of the strength that the Spirit brings, Christians are able to speak. Here it is again, verse 27. And you also must testify... For you have been with me from the beginning. Remarkable. Christians are to testify, to speak of what Jesus has done, to share what he's done in the Bible and in history, and what he's done in your life, and in the lives of those that you know who follow Christ. And to testify that this good news is for everyone. And here's the remarkable and wonderful thing that Jesus will do through the Spirit, is that some of those in the world who instinctively hate and oppose christians and their lord will end up becoming one of them the guy who wrote half of the new testament was originally a man called saul who was the greatest and most violent opponent of early christians that was known and yet saul encountered jesus and his life was turned around and he was given a new name paul and he was told how much he would suffer for the kingdom of god and he became the greatest missionary and church planter that the world has ever seen somebody testified to him about Jesus this good news is for everyone I love the way of putting it that's been written by a church in Nashville Emmanuel Church they put the good news in in three points here it is I'm an idiot my future is incredibly bright anyone can get in on this I'm an idiot My future is now incredibly bright and anyone can get in on this. Let me finish with another story from uh, an author, a pastor, Julian Hardiman in his wonderful book, The Joy of Service. Julian writes about uh, going to a dinner party. He'd he'd left his career in publishing and he'd become a church manager and a pastoral assistant in in, uh, the city of Nottingham. And at this dinner party, he got talking with a fellow guest asked him about himself and his work and then the guest asked him what he did and Julian replied, I work for a church and without another word the man turned away and started a conversation with someone else. (laughs) So Julian felt it was pretty awkward but he turned and asked a second guest about himself and his work for a while and then he asked me what I did. I work for a church, he replied, and without another word, the second guest turned away and started a conversation with someone else. And indeed, it happened with a third person, three people in a row. When they heard that he worked for a church, stopped the conversation, cut him dead and turned and talked to someone else. And he says, at this point, I got a little sense of the high social standing of church workers in that part of Nottingham. A part of the life of the Christian disciple, in ministry or out of it, is to experience negative reactions from people outside the church. Jesus warns us to expect it. But here's a wonderful thing. Disgrace and shame, of course, can be very hard to bear. He says, I tasted a little of that when those three party goers shunned me one after the other. But why should I rejoice in this disgrace? Because it is a privilege to be associated with Jesus. And more deeply, because he himself experienced shame and disgrace. That was what made the cross so terrible, the shame of it. So for us to be disgraced is to get closer to Jesus than perhaps we can any other way. The author of the letter to the Hebrews puts it like this. Jesus also suffered from outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Opposition from our society and culture, he says, is inevitable, but it generates its own special joy and its own ultimate prize. When the world hates you, you know what to do about it testify to the greatness of jesus let's pray lord we confess we are not that good with conflict we don't like it and we certainly don't like being resented and hated part of us would rather run away part of us would rather flee or part of us would rather fight and give back what we've received lord change us may your life the life of the vine flow through us so that we will be richly fruitful even in the face of opposition. And for those here who are listening and watching and considering your claims, I pray that the glory of what you have done for them would be such that it overwhelms any fears they may have and that they may draw near and trust you in faith. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.